Please stand with me for the reading of today's text. We are in Ezra chapter 5. I'll be reading verse 11 today. Ezra chapter 5, verse 11. And thus they returned us answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and build the house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. Let's pray together. Father, we once again come into your presence. We come in before you as your people. We stand Acknowledging you as our King, we stand before your word. Lord, we pray today that your Spirit will be active in and among us. That your word would be powerful and effectual. That your Spirit would drive it deep into our soul. And that you would change us. That you would conform us. Lord, we pray in the power of Jesus' name that you would make us like him. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked about uh, what it looks like to be a servant of the God of heaven and earth. This week, we're going to focus on more, we're going to focus more on what we as servants are to do. What is the task at hand? What does this task look like? As we look at this task, we will also have to address the issues that keep us from accomplishing the work that is before us. I think generally what pulls us off our task is our own agenda and us working in our own strength. Now, as I was considering this, and I was thinking of an illustration for this weakness of ours, for this problem that we face, for this sin that we struggle with, it was brought to my mind that there is a perfect example And it takes place in a very well-known setting. I suspect all of you have at one time or another found yourself in this setting. Even about this time of year, on a nice hot day, you gather up friends and families and you head out to the local ballpark. 
going to go see a little professional baseball. And it is here we will find our illustration. There are lots of things we can look at in the midst of a ball game which may be helpful as we think about our work and the struggles associated with it. There's lots of excitement at a ball game. As we think about our work, we may think of walking up to the plate, taking the first pitch, deep, deep, over the fence, home run. Crowd goes crazy. We love that idea, right? Or maybe it's something a little more sly, something a little more cunning like stealing second base or maybe a double steal. Maybe we think of stealing home. Doesn't happen very often, does it? When was the last time, James? <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. Maybe we could think about the manager looking at his roster, and he's got a long season ahead of him, and he must utilize his team to win as many games as possible, but still to save his team for the playoffs. Maybe we can think of helping one another out, relief pitcher warming up in the bullpen, getting ready to come in for a pitcher who is currently struggling. We all know these references, right? Wow, Evans is talking about baseball. What's going on? Well, it's because the perfect illustration of our problem takes place in this ball game. And I think those of you who have gone to a professional ball game know this incident well. It has made a mark on you. If you have seen it, it is unforgettable. Now, what I'm talking about is the bat spin race. Do you guys all know the bat spin race? Come on, admit it. Really? You don't know the batsman race? I will probably fall over if I try to demonstrate this. This is a really great idea. You set up two lines, all right? You get a couple volunteers from the crowd, and they are given a baseball bat, each of them. And they set it on the ground. I can't believe you guys don't know this. They set it on the ground and they put their forehead on top of the bat. And then they spin around some number of times. Okay? And then somebody yells, go, and the race is on. Now, if you haven't seen a bat spin race, which I am still in shock that some of you haven't, you've probably done this with a toddler, right? Where you've swung them around, right? And then you let them go and they veer off to one side or the other. Do you know that one? Say yes. You see, this is our problem. The batsman race is our problem. We are given a task. 
And this spinning around the bat is a result of the fall. And we often continue to spin around this bat due to our own sin. When we pursue our own agenda, we circle the bat. When we try to do the Lord's work in our own strength, in our own way, we circle the bat. And even for those participants who are physically fit enough and have young enough ears to keep them on track long enough to cross the finish line, it is usually nowhere near where they thought they were going to end up. Their sin has taken them somewhere off course. A bat spin race. That's our problem. Let me back up here a minute and set the stage for you. See, we are those who by God's grace have been saved through faith. We have been given a gift of God. We've not been saved because of anything in us. We have not been saved because of our works. We have no reason to boast. And as God has transformed us, as He has changed us, as He has dragged us kicking and screaming into His kingdom, we are a new creation. We are a new creature. Ephesians 2 says that we are His workmanship. We are His handwriting, you might say. We are His poem. And in that newness of life, with our full trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we have been ordained to good works. And brothers and sisters, we are not unlike those exiles who returned from Babylon. We have, we have been called to a specific time in a specific place to accomplish a specific task. I have mentioned this before. I will mention it again today. It is hard for me to get my head wrapped around, but that for however many thousands of years of human history there has been, it was finally ordained and orchestrated by our sovereign God so that each of us this morning would be exactly where we are in this building, doing what we're doing. There's been a lot of effort there has been a lot of work. There has been a lot of sacrifice, both from a human perspective and from God's perspective, to plant you here and now. In that sense, we are inescapably God's servant. We owe Him everything. Amen?
He has made this relatively easy for us. We have been fairly passive in this process, other than the aforementioned kicking and screaming. We have been given faith. We have been given God's Spirit who dwells in us. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been made priests and kings of a holy nation. We have been given His peace. We have been given His comfort. We have been filled to overflowing with joy. And what does God tell us to do in response? He tells us to love Him and to worship Him. And He commands that we love one another as He has loved us. He has told us that we are to lay down our life. We are to die to self. We are to lay our lives down for our friends. For most of us, for most of us when we hear this, it's a bit like thinking about the exciting parts of a baseball game. If we are to lay down our lives for our friend, we are to sacrifice for our wives and our children. We probably think of stepping in front of a bullet for our wife, right? Or throwing ourselves on a grenade for our buddies. Too many action movies, right? I think those qualify, okay? I don't want to discard those. But laying down our life, dying to self, and taking up Jesus' cross as our own. Submitting to the Lord's will and being thankful. Submitting ourselves to the needs of others. Being thankful for the role that the Lord has given. And then diligently seeking to please Him where He has planted us and in what He has asked us to do. But we often get off course. We get distracted. <laughs> we, we get dizzy from the bat spin with our own agenda and by our own strength. And then you and I are as helpless as the bat spin race participant trying to make it to the finish line. We've heard a number of times lately that we are to abide in Jesus, in the true vine. And that without Jesus, that we can do nothing. 
I know I struggle to believe this. I suspect you do too. You're thinking, well, I, I, can, I can still do stuff. I still get things accomplished. But as we reel and as we veer off to the side, as the dizzy participant of the bat spin race, it is not that we are just not bearing fruit. It is that we are doing harm to ourselves and possibly to others. Our actions betray us. Our true desires are shown in the way we live our life. It's inescapable. Your actions will show what you actually believe. You can tell me about your faith. You can tell me about the way you believe. But your actions cannot lie. So as we've been called to this work, to these good works by our Lord Jesus Christ, we have we have sought our own agenda. Like the Israelites before us, who had the kingdom given to them and they threw it away. The Israelites in our story, who were delivered once again and came into Jerusalem, and they were given everything they needed to accomplish the task. And you and I both know what they did. They consumed the resources upon their own lust. And when they received any amount of pressure, they quit working. Our actions betray us. I have been struggling greatly with this idea of late. I ask myself, how much time do I spend praying for you? How much time have I spent praying for my family? For the work of this church? How much time have I spent asking the Lord to show me the needs in this congregation? that I'm supposed to minister to. I will let you in on this struggle and ask you, 
When was the last time you asked Jesus to show you your gifts that you have been given to edify the body, this body specifically? When was the last time you prayed and asked Him to show you where, like as in Nehemiah's day, where on the wall that you were supposed to work? Where is your responsibility here? I truly appreciate all the work that is done here. There are people who labor tirelessly here. And I have become more and more aware of that. I have become aware that even as they struggle in their own faith, that they have worked tirelessly here. But my guess is even they are feeling a little uncomfortable right now. They are wondering if they are working for the Lord. Maybe I'm working for the praise of men. Maybe I'm working because my spouse thinks that I should be. Maybe it's true that I'm taking those resources the Lord has given me, the gifts and the talents, and instead of using them here in His house, I have been using them to build my own house. Oh Lord, am I the unfaithful servant? Oh Jesus, am I the unfaithful bride? Have I sought my satisfaction somewhere else? Have the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and my own lust choked out your word? And have I become unfruitful? I have a little challenge for everybody in this room. I want you to think of that thing that is distracting you. I'm fairly confident we all have it. Maybe it's a secret pleasure. Maybe it's a known pleasure. Maybe it's something that you can rightfully justify But in the back of your mind, you know that it is taking you away from what you're supposed to be doing. I would like you to consider the amount of time you spend on that in a week. And just to get you started, let's cut that time in half. And I want you to take that time and I want you to pray for this body. 
Maybe that seems unfair. But I can tell you that when I stand before Jesus, I will have a hard time explaining to Him why in any given week I have spent hours playing, I'm going to say it, PUBG, and not nearly that much time praying. Friends, that is going to be an extremely uncomfortable spot to be standing in. It is uncomfortable now. So fill in the blank with your own PUBG. For those of you who don't know what that is, ask your son. They're playing. You know, it's really pretty simple. Just like our passage in Ezra, and just like dozens of passages in the New Testament, we have one job. We have one job. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Right? But then there's an interesting promise right at the end of that. If we are seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, guess what? He adds all these other things that may be distracting us or pulling us off our mission, He adds them back in. I think I read somewhere that if you lose your life, you gain it. Amen? I believe it is a hard lock. It is a clear connection. It is inescapable that seeking the kingdom and building his house are the same. So like the Israelites in our passage, and like our Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to be servants of the God of heaven and earth. We can do nothing apart from His will, apart from His instruction, and apart from His glorious plan. Those things you are doing that don't line up there are less than nothing. They're actually harmful. They're distracting. You may even be dragging others down. See, Jesus in John 5 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For what things soever He does... There also does the Son likewise. You getting this? Later in that same chapter, he says, Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Jesus did nothing and said nothing that wasn't in direct line with what his Father had told him to do. He was a servant. 
we are to walk as He walks. We see in our passage that this house that they are working on was built and set up by a great king of Israel, right? So we know that that is Solomon. But as I'm looking at this passage, I'm thinking, you know what? There's a greater Solomon who did the same thing some 2,000 years ago. He told Peter that he was going to build his church and that the gates of hell were not going to prevail against it. That was his work. He came to obey the Father. And broadly spoken, the 30,000 foot view, he was here to build his church, his body, his beloved bride. That's you. And as we have entered into this relationship with him, he has told us, guess what? I have a job for you. It's building my church. It's not building your house. It's not padding your 401k. It's not pursuing your hobbies. And please hear me, I'm not coming down on those things. We, we live in the world. We have to do some of those things. We have to provide for our family. But it's not our focus. It's not our highest priority. Jesus' church is. You think I'm oversimplifying it? Am I drawing too hard of a line here? In Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us this, that He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the what? The edifying, the building up the body of Christ. So all those positions that are listed, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers, saints, guess what their primary job is? Edifying the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we are... We are built up, we are matured up, we are raised up in the stature, in the fullness, in the completeness of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul is discussing spiritual gifts, he says this, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But 
He that prophesies speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, and he that prophesies edifies the church. I, were, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interprets that the church may receive edifying. It gets a little confusing there, right? But what's the main point? What are the spiritual gifts for? They're for edifying the body. They're for edifying the body. So even as we are worshiping the Lord, we have to keep in mind that one of our primary purposes or maybe the primary purpose after worshiping the Lord is making sure that we edify the body in whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we do, whatever we think. So this work of the ministry is to edify the body. These spiritual gifts in worship are to edify the body. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also you do. You get the idea here? Our primary purpose, our primary job, we have one job. It's to edify the body. How does that impact our life? Do we nod our heads and say, yeah, that's good, Evans, edifying the body, you got it. Hey, that word shows up a lot. It must be important. I think it is. But is it important enough to affect where you live? Is it important enough to affect where you work and how you behave? Is it important enough to influence the way you dress or your hobbies? You have one job. Do you use it as the filter? Do you use it as the yardstick? Do you use it to determine all of your life? We are commanded to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. We are called to be the body of Christ. We are called to be the temple where God dwells. You are called to be salt and light, to be that city set on a hill. We are commanded to love one another, to submit to one another. We are called to go out. We are to profess Jesus. We are to preach the gospel to all creatures, making disciples, teaching all that Jesus has commanded us.
Somebody prayed earlier that the Lord would send workers for the harvest. Behold the laborers. They're right here. So you're called to lay down your life for the Lord's agenda. To seek the Lord and His kingdom first. And all these things will be added to you. I'm not trying to sugarcoat this. This is hard when you are reeling from dizziness. It is hard to run a straight line. It is nigh unto impossible. But I take you back to the beginning. To the beginning of our conversation. How do we overcome this spinning? How do we correct the effects? See, we've been given faith. We've been given the ability to trust the Lord with our life. We have been given God's Spirit. We are told that He comforts us and leads us into all truths. Dare I say, the Holy Spirit and God's Word is sufficient for the voyage that we are set on. It is sufficient to correct that maddening dizziness that we suffer from. He has promised to feed us at His table. That we draw strength. As we eat spiritual food, we draw spiritual strength which helps us steady our step. We have been given each other to encourage and to build up. To weep with those who weep. To mourn with those who mourn. To rejoice with those who rejoice. We are called to love one another as Jesus loves us. We have been given exceeding great and precious promises. I encourage you to grab hold of those promises and labor for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we believe and we pray that you will heal 
our unbelief. Lord, we all suffer from this maddening, spinning, and dizziness. The effects of our sins, the effects of our own lusts. Lord, sometimes we just cry out, help us to get off of this spinning merry-go-round. Make it stop. Let us catch our breath. Let us get a glimpse of You. Lord, give us the eyes of faith to see You at the finish line. Continue to pour out Your gifts on us. Let us run our course straight. Let us trust you for the results. In Jesus' name, amen.